Hello, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you're here today. I hope you had a great holiday and a happy new year. Happy new year. The first rule of 2021 is we don't talk about 2020. Kind of like Fight Club, but maybe not so violent. I'm half kidding and half not, but it is time to put 2021 or 2020 behind us and focus on how we can make 2020 a year of resolve to do better. That's my resolve, to do better. I am not disappointed in all of the things that I was able to accomplish last year, but I am looking forward to making this year a much brighter, happier, positive year. I am so excited to tee up my guest today. His name is Ahad Gahimi. He is the Managing Director of Core Capital, an international advisory firm that helps companies transition to employee ownership. I have had the pleasure of knowing Nahad for several years now. I met him through YPO. We were actually forum mates, uh, which we will talk about in the episode. Ahad loved forums so much that he created a company around it. So he's also the founder of Forums at Work, whose mission is to democratize the forum experience, which is a peer-to-peer experience sharing and support platform used by organizations such as YPO and EO. He has built his career around leading turnarounds of bankrupt businesses and family-owned enterprises transitioning to employee ownership. Most recently, he authored and published a book called Turnaround Artists. I had the pleasure of editing it for him. And it's a business fable based on the true story, his true story um, of his family business. And it guides readers on how to transform company culture through creating connections and sharing experiences. We talk about building a culture based on an ownership mindset, the value of employee ownership, and why forums are such a powerful way to improve work relationships and take your team to the next level. Hang tight, and I'll be right back with a hug. everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited to have a hot on here. I told you all about him and he's just an amazing human being. I'm so excited you get to meet him today. Thanks Ahad for coming on the show. Well, I've been looking forward to this and specifically looking forward to um, having this conversation with you. Uh, I, um, uh, I adore you as a person and, uh, and really as a leader. And uh, um, you're one of the most authentic people I've really ever um had as a peer. So this is great. Oh, thank you. Well, we have so many things in common and so many threads that we can take this, but let's start with getting to know you a little bit. So can you tell us who you are and what you do in your own words, not mine? (laughs) Fair enough. Um, uh, So on the professional front, um, I've been a, uh, a turnaround guy for the last almost a decade now, actually. Uh, I had my first taste of a turnaround, um, uh, helping lead the turnaround of Boston Market, uh, the rotisserie chicken chain. A lot of people are happy that that, that, that place came back and stayed alive. And, it is. Um, it's so delicious. <laughs> especially the sides. I was talking to someone today about, I said, Boston Market, they're like, oh my God, the spinach dip side. So um, <laughs> it, yeah, so that was like, that was my first uh, taste, no pun intended, of a, of, of a turnaround. And uh, I've been doing them since. So just been involved with businesses in, um, in in massive transition, you know, whether it's uh, bankruptcy or uh, or succession, you know, which is a sort of a really defining moment. Um, it's funny because you know, with with all the COVID stuff going on, I was talking to a, a, 
a friend who also uh, leads turnarounds and we're like, this is just kind of a normal day. Crisis is just kind of been part of our lives for the last 10 years um, uh, leading these uh, leading these turnarounds. So, you know, I've been in, in all types of different industries. So obviously restaurants, um, uh, more recently manufacturing and e-commerce. Uh, I think, you know, the, the common thing is I've often been the, um, probably the person with the most authority and the, probably the least knowledge of the industry or the product or subject matter in the room. So uh, nothing like that to really flare up your imposter syndrome. <laughs> and do you find that it matters? I mean, as you're doing a turnaround, does the industry really matter? Or is it really like doing a deep dive into what's going wrong in the business? You know, it's a great question. And uh, it's actually something I just wrote um, a, a little article about uh, in fact, there's an advantage of not knowing a lot about the industry and not knowing a lot of the product and uh, and coming in fresh. Because um, I think you know, to to your question, there's the fundamental um, business principles. Uh, when you come in not knowing about you know fiberglass reinforced plastics or water filters or high end guitars or um, industrial distribution, you know you I, I find that I don't meddle too much. I don't tinker with the, the, some of the things that are so detailed and I really sort of, um, one, it keeps me very open. I ask a lot of questions, obviously, because it's such a steep learning curve. And, and I think amongst other things, that perspective gets everybody else really uh, asking and reconsidering things and not just accepting you know, the, the typical way we, we do things. I'll give you an example. My first business was High Fashion Swimwear back in 2005. Uh, this was a startup. And so we started this high fashion swimsuit company. And um, it was me, a former Miss France, and her, her very wealthy husband, and uh, who, who were the co-founders. And when we kicked off, I mean, my first question was, you know, why is the inside of the swimsuit so ugly? These are women's swimsuits. So the, un, you know, the sort of, in, uh, the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the, uh, inner lining you know mm -hmm. I'm like yeah that's like the most important part why is it so ugly inside and we ended up putting all our design dollars on the inside of we put like these you know a snake or a butterfly on the inside of swimsuits and we made vogue in our first in our first collection you know and so or we were selling our swimsuits for we were selling the tops and bottoms separate uh that the industry sold them together you know, a bikini top and a bikini bottom i'm like well, that makes no sense because how do you know how a person's body I mean, it's not a template uh, and so we actually revolutionized selling separates. So there's such a value of just I don't know, asking uh, silly questions and, and being really new to an industry. Yeah, I think that's a great example because who would have thought? And now, I mean, I could never even imagine buying my swimsuit without trying on different tops and mixing and matching. So uh, it, it is good to just be curious because you never know what an outsider's view could can bring to you. Well, especially if you're the boss, right? Because you ask these questions, no one's going to tell you that's a dumb question. So they'll, they'll, kind of, they'll, they'll humor it enough to, well, you know, that's actually a good question. <laughs> they'll sort of open it up. So, yeah, I found that to be um, really important. You know, I'm, I'm sort of leading a real estate roll-up right now. And, and one of the interesting things I found is actually the real estate companies that are the most successful are when the owner does not have a real estate license. The owner doesn't sell any real estate. Their job is to lead and grow the business. And the ones that are the least successful are the ones who the owner is trying to sell homes or, or buildings and then also trying to mentor and lead. I mean, the second part is just kind of an afterthought. 
Yeah, so, well, I think it's it goes to that, you know, great leaders know how to work on the business instead of in the business. And when you grow up in the business, it's really hard to separate yourself. So when I came on at Stone Age, I was young and dumb and had no idea how to run a business. I was 28 years old. And I think having an outside view with not a lot of bad business habits was really useful to the company. But now I find myself being an insider. I grew up with the company, so to speak. And so really challenging myself to start thinking like a, you know, like I haven't been in it for for a decade and a half and how do I have a learner's mind and really consider, you know, new ways of doing things and new industries to be able to expand to. So I don't get stuck in like, ah, this is how I've always done it. And I get stuck working in the business rather than on the business. So um, I think that that's a great point and, and something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily value, right? Well, how can you be really great at this if you don't come from this? And that's just not true. Yeah, and I get I get I get it all the time. I'm curious, how do you, how do you do that? You're right. So you've been you've been at Stone Age for, you know, all the all this time, and you've grown up with the business. How do you sort of um, create that uh, beginner's mind for yourself? Well, I think part of it is is who I am. I'm just naturally curious, uh, so I am always exploring new ideas, and I'm definitely a growth driven CEO, and I think that helps. Um, but part of it is, is that I'm also a disruptive CEO. I want, I, I've been disrupting our industry for, in, in lots of ways over the last 15 years. And so I think that helps when you're always looking for, how am I really going to change things? Well, you're not really going to change things and be disruptive if you're doing it the way that you've always done it. So I think it's, it's partly who I am, but it's also partly you know, the vision that I have for the company and, and it's going to be very different, but not everybody, not everybody has that, you know, intrinsically. So, you know, it's interesting to have to figure out how to dig deep. And, 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 and I think a lot of founders really struggle with that. That's probably why you come in as a turnaround guy. <laughs> how do you save a feeling business? Right. You know, this, the first thing I say is, you know, often, and it's all because it's obvious. I say, I, I know nothing about this industry. I know nothing about this product. And you could, so just imagine you're walking into a business that's got about maybe I don't know, a couple months uh, of cash left. Uh, it's everything's a crisis. And here's a guy who's going to rescue, you know, or in fact, it's, you know, it's obviously we do it together, but they're looking at you like, here's a solution. <laughs> you don't know anything about the business. It, uh, it really takes the air out of their room. But it actually puts everybody at ease because because they realize we're not just hinging our future on this one person. We're going to have to all be in. We're going to have to all take ownership. And frankly, what we've been doing is not obviously not working. So there's um, I'd say it's like like an intrinsic humility that 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 comes with this. And I think if that makes everybody else just uh, it makes it easier for everybody else to be more humble and, and dare I say vulnerable to the fact that they don't have all the answers. Yeah. Right? And, and to admit it's not working, but I'm sure you've probably faced resistance, right? Where, oh, great. We have a turnaround guy coming in here and I don't really know that I want to listen to him. So how do you overcome that resistance that you might, might encounter? Carrie, it's not some resistance. It's, it's, all resistance i mean it's like it's it's you, you i can see it on people's faces you sense it in the room and um 
Jim, I, I think you said the word intrinsically. I think for me, my intrinsic approach to this is, in a way, kind of not acknowledging it. I don't uh, react to it. I don't resist. Uh, I actually ex- accept it because I could really empathize where people are coming from. You know, the 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 plant operation manager who's sixty and has been at this company for fifty, uh, no, fifty, forty years. You, you know, and going through, um, and so for him, it's. I can understand for him, it's such a shock. And uh, and so for me, it's like, I, I see it as a process. I see this as, you know, day one is just where we're starting, but, you know, week three, we're going to be somewhere else. And and if I could just move the, uh, the needle on uh, openness, trust. Uh, and I think that's, that's my job actually to do that. These are the people who are, um, uh, on this sinking ship and I mean the you, you it's all emotional I mean it's all you've seen a third or two-thirds of the people laid off um, it, it, it's looking really bad and uh, and if you can um, you know I love this concept of the the, the the eye of the storm you know and so the eye of the storm is you're you're in this moment where around you is just in this general vicinity is blue skies and birds chirping but a little beyond that, it's there's there's hurricanes and tornadoes and, and it's madness. And I uh, I, I actually relish in that and being that uh, the calmest, most unreactive person. Uh, and it's contagious, you know. When you, I think when you show up, I've seen when I show up that way, people can't rationalize why they're a little less relaxed, a little more relaxed, and a little less uh, a little less stressed out. But 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 people are they sort of uh, they level out. And they can start thinking a little more long-term and a little more rationally. And that's how we start getting a little bit of traction. And we just build on that uh, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's great. So when I first met you, uh, it was actually, I think at both, uh, it was both, um, it was our first YPO event for both of us. It was an 80s party. It was wild. Uh, and I knew immediately I was going to like you. I loved your chill vibe, but I also loved that you were doing turnarounds and doing it with uh, employee ownership in mind. And as you know, I'm extremely passionate about employee ownership. And so I was immediately drawn to that. So how have you used the idea of uh, employee equity, employee ownership, ESOPs in how you think about turnarounds and how maybe you even actually do turn around the company? Um, I have fond memories of that uh, of of that YPO event. It was a rock and roll theme. Um, I was Cindy Lauper. <laughs> yeah, 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 I was I, I was a uh, 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 David Bowie. I mean, with, yes. with orange with an orange wig. <laughs> <laughs> we were quick friends. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, for me, look, I'll tell you my first few first sort of encounters with employee ownership. And frankly, it had nothing to do with equity. You know, it had something to do with it, with with an emotional buy-in. Um, it actually, the one of them was at was at Boston Market. You know, this, you know, our whole theme was c- go from th- surviving to thriving. The company had gone through a bankruptcy. McDonald's had bought it and sort of took in all the real good real estate and spat it back out. And third of the people had been um, let go. And now the whole mandate was let's create this, this sort of energy in this um, environment of not trying to just survive, to survive, but let's you know think about how we're going to uh, thrive together. 
and so we did a whole bunch of innovation sessions. I remember the there were some new regulations around the cater uh, around um, uh, to the pharmaceutical industry and how companies can uh, pharmaceuticals can sort of cater lunches for doctors and whatnot. So, and that was like ninety percent of our business. So that's gone out the window. And the whole idea was to get people to think new things and new ideas uh, and not try to think about how to go back to the old way. So we did a whole bunch of innovation sessions and it was co-creative. It was about people really creating an open, safe environment and people co-creating the new ideas. And when you go through such a process and if you can get people to really open up, you'll, you'll have an epiphany right there in the room, you know, almost on command. And, uh, and I remember this is like 2011 and we came up with these ideas of, um, home delivery and um, subscription catering. And I mean, things that are just kind of commonplace now with like Grubhub and everything. But, and I remember when this idea came up, like the room went silent because everybody just felt it. But what was really interesting was, so, you know, Boston Market, I think we we're 10,000 people at the company at the, at the time. So, you know, mid-sized company. And uh, the, fo- the, the, the following weeks, so things kind of move slow when the company gets bigger, but people went back to their regions and people invested their own personal money on piloting these ideas. And that for me was the first time I experienced, uh, you know, a bonafide employee becoming like an entrepreneur within a company. I mean, taking a risk and trying something because they're so passionate. And, and that's when this concept of, wow, an employee can be an owner. An employee can, can be like an entrepreneur and, and how powerful would that be if that was sort of culture-wide and if you could really harness that? So I didn't know anything about the employee ownership world or community or ESOPs. I just, I experienced this firsthand. And, uh, and you know, and starting to dig into it, I'm like, oh, wait a second, there's, a, there's this whole community out there and there's a whole um, world of employee ownership. Uh, and, you know, for me at the time, I thought, like, it just made all the sense. And I think like you, I think once you sort of, experience it and you see people, uh, especially employees, people have more sort of like an employee who've always been employees and have that sort of mindset and have an experience being an entrepreneur to uh, take that kind of ownership and commitment. I mean, it's it's like, it's every CEO's dream for, for, an, for uh, people on the payroll to just own it and think about it all day and night, like, like they are, you know? And I thought, well, and I had just idea that, of course, at the time, it's like 2011, 12, and I, you, you sort of read the headlines about baby boomers retiring and their kids don't want to take over their family businesses. I was one of them. I had, no, I wanted, I had nothing to do with my family's business. And uh, so these businesses that don't have any succession plans, especially, you know, businesses that do, that are, you know, do less than about 10 million in revenue. And, um, and so I thought, well, if we can convert these to uh, ESOPs, and all just the incredible benefits that an ESOP brings, but then transform their culture. At the time, it was like, it was, it was an idea, it was a concept. They would probably be unstoppable. And, uh, and that's how I got into it with that idea. And, you know, eight, nine years later, and all the experiences I've had, it's, um, it's actually far exceeded how powerful I think it is and how fast things work when you... Um, create the environment for and the support for people to think and act like owners, but then after give them the incentives like equity or profit sharing or whatnot um, and a piece of the action.
Yeah, well, you are ahead of your time. Uh, you know, as you know, I sit on uh, Governor Polis's uh, Employee Ownership Commission here in Colorado, and that's exactly what his mission is, is, you know, we're seeing what they call that silver tsunami of baby boomers leaving. Um, they're you know, needing to do something with their business and not having kids who either, you know, want to not having kids at all or want to, to get into the business. And what do you do? You can't lose all of those jobs in these more mom and pop type organizations where, you know, a strategic buyout or private equity makes no sense, which, you know, many times that ruins companies anyway. <clears throat> so that was really, um, I think, a lot of foresight for you to, to see what was going to happen and to be able to start to work with companies on uh, formulating ESOPs. So what was your first ESOP company? Um, so my first uh, ESOP, so, you know, I, I think there's a distinction that I'll make is, so there's there's ESOPs, like the, the vehicle of an, uh, an ESOP, and there's sort of creating employee ownership. So the and first time I quit- I think that's a good point. There's lots of models, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people uh, sort of look at ESOPs and they'll say, okay, well, does that work or not? And, and an ESOP is good for certain companies. A co-op is good for other companies. Um, but I think the first ones was, uh, well, I mean, Boston Market was the first time we started really in creating a bit of like an ownership culture. The second one was a um, industrial distribution company in, uh, in Canada. Um, uh, from there, it was a, uh, a fiberglass manufacturing facility in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Um, completely insolvent. Um, I think we, we I, when I started, we had about 130 employees, most of which were recruited right out of the prison system in South Carolina. So they were all ex-cons. Um, I remember walking down the plant floor the first day and uh, they just kind of feeling like everybody was, like I was being watched, but no one was making eye contact. Like I felt like a prison warden. And I remember saying that to the HR director and she's like, well, yeah, you know, most people here are ex-cons. And, and I was like, wow, it's, I, I didn't realize that. And, um, but there were, that was sort of another example of people who, listen, frankly, people, they're, they're a, a, pop, a, cop, a group of people who people didn't really have a lot of faith in, care about. But once we started uh, putting a lot of faith in them and taking care of them and fostering their growth, they're the most loyal people I've ever worked with. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. And it's funny because this company was losing, I think, $2 million a year. And it wasn't even a very big company. So, I mean, I had no um, indication of ever being able to sort of survive. And, uh, but once we sort of turned it around and succeeded, and we had this, you know, we had this sort of great event. And, uh, and one of these, there was this guy with like, you know, big, huge beard and, you know, sort of uh, real, biker looking guy, he came up to me and said, listen, you know, anybody messes with you, you, you let me know and I'll take care of them. And I think it was just his way of uh, saying, you know, you're okay with me now, you know, you're, you're sort of accepted here um, in the group, but. Um, mm -hmm. To your point on uh, investing in people and then, you know, giving them a platform to be their very best. I think mm -hmm. that employee ownership is such a great, you know, vehicle for doing that you know everybody it doesn't matter where your background is where you come from like everybody wants to feel valued everybody wants to be included everyone 
wants to be able to provide for their families and and understand that they have a you know a growth path in an organization. And so especially when you take people who, you know, ex-convicts, for ex, for example, or, you know, people who may not always be seen or heard in an organization and say, hey, I'm going to share in this success and I care about your opinion and you're going to be part of this and your work matters, what you can do to turn it around. And so I love that story. I think it's so remarkable what you were able to do there and, and being able to use a vehicle like sharing in the success of the company with everyone just listening to you say that just it takes me back to uh you know my first a couple of weeks and uh i remember i was pulling in people off the plant floor into uh, the front office which you know they basically rarely went into unless they're being reprimanded frankly and we started to come and sit in the and in, in the i remember i brought in a uh, sort of a whole line um off the plant floor there were seven of them and um they're all, I mean, fiberglass is a messy business, so they're all dusty, and they're kind of looking at me like whether they should sit down on the nice little chairs because they're so dirty. I'm like, yeah, sit down. And so we had this great conversation, and I, I just hearing you share that, it makes me, takes me back to like them looking at me like, because I'm asking them questions, I'm just, they're my resource, and I'm looking at them as a resource, and they're like, is this guy for real? And it was just this really amazing moment where they're like, Oh, I've got something to share. I've got something. I've got something to really offer here. And you're right. You, you know, when you when you offer that uh, opportunity, when you just respect someone that way, it's unbelievable uh, what comes out. Um, both in terms of just the knowledge they have um, that they don't even know how valuable it is, and that the the level of commitment, um, loyalty, and uh, and also just um, what it does for the way they feel and the, the pride. I mean, I think, you know, further to what you were saying, I think fulfillment. I mean, what, what better feeling? People talk about happiness a lot, but I think the step beyond that is fulfillment. And, uh, and if you can help people feel that way and feel fulfilled, like they've accomplished something, they've done something and they've contributed, um, you've got a, you've got an owner. And that's actually the one thing I tell people about employee ownership. They're like, so I get it. They're like, oh, so if you give people equity, they're going to become owners. I'm like, no, no, not at all. You have to make them feel part of it. The equity, the profit sharing, all that, that's, um, that's the incentive. But it's really how you make them feel and make them really um, part of the success and help them make a contribution um, that's where ownership happens. I agree with you completely. So at Stone Age, our machine shop, uh, the just uh, the most awesome group of guys um, and one gal, yay. Uh, and they came up with the own it mindset for Stone Age. And it was it was going to be their it was really their team commitment, how we're going to show up and take care of our equipment, take care of each other to keep things picked up. <clears throat> And I loved it. It was so fantastic. And so we went through this exercise where each team came up with their own own it mindset. And the next thing you know, it morphed into the Stone Age own it mindset, which is the set of behaviors that we all operate on. And it's how we help onboard new employees to understand you need to be able to exhibit these to be successful here. And we will help you on that journey. And our machine shop 
they, they exhibit so much pride because they, they came up with this and, you know, it's, it's all over our building. It's talked about in our industry and they are, they are one of the strongest teams that we have in the organization. And I adore them. They work together so well and they're so creative and new ideas. And they really, I think did solidified our culture with this little idea that they had that turned into something much bigger. And, uh, and they owned it. I mean, that's what they did. They said, there are some things we need to change and here's how we're gonna change it. And, and, and we're gonna all agree to this and commit to it. So I think you're spot on when you talk about, you know, the, the, the financial piece of it is just the incentive, but if you don't create the, the culture and the feeling that we're in this together and I care about what you think and you can change this business just as much as I can change this business, then you really are going to fail to, I don't know, leverage what you can get out of your benefits package, whether it is an ESOP or, or something as simple as profit sharing. And what's that like for you, Carrie, as, a, as the, the CEO, when these, this value, it's a value, right? Owning it is a value. And that comes from the, the machine shop and people are uh, essentially indoctrinating new employees or uh, employee owners in your case with this mindset. It didn't come from you. It came from them and they're doing that. What's, what's that like for you as an owner? I love it. I love it. It's so great. I mean, I, the, we are, our success is, is 100% because of the amazing teamwork that we have. Our customers come to our facility and say, can I get a job here? I, mean, I want to work for you guys, for you. And, and you can't create that from the top down. That comes from, you know, from every aspect of the, or, or every department of the organization. And so um, it fills me with a tremendous amount of pride. In fact, I'll show you. Every, all of our listeners can't see our video, but I even have the Own It Mindset sweatshirt on. Oh, I love it. Right. Our one team own it mindset sweatshirt, you know, that, that this is literally perforating and, and I wear it proudly because it is so rewarding to have people buy into it. Are you, are you familiar with the Gallup 12 questionnaire? Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So it's interesting, right? It's like these 12 questions that really determine employee engagement and, um, yeah, they, they've interviewed, I think, 35 million employees. And, and one of the biggest elements of this is, uh, um, am I making a contribution? Of the 12 questions, I think a few of them around, am I making a contribution and do I fit in? And am I growing? Those are the three of the four. And the fourth one, I think, is I know what my job is and I have the tools to do it. So it's just, you know, just hearing your story and, um, and just this whole notion of creating an ownership culture uh, it's so infectious and that's, uh, I can relate with customers wanting to, people just seeing that they, they want to be a part of it, but what they want to be a part of is they want to fit in somewhere. They want to feel like they're contributing. It's interesting. You know, it's, these, these are fundamental human things. I mean, nobody has to look any further themselves and realize, I mean, I want to fit in where I am. I want to feel like I'm making a contribution. I want to feel like I'm growing. When I do those three things, um, I feel great. I feel fulfilled, and uh, and I think that's what employee ownership um, done right. You know, assuming that it's uh, it's uh, comprehensive with you know the incentives and the environment um, creates for for uh, everybody. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, let's talk culture, but go from a uh, go at it from a different angle. So you just finished a book, which I had the pleasure of editing for you. Uh, uh, Turnaround artists and really um, getting this idea of form forms at work, which is not just a YPO thing, but something that we do a lot in YPO. So could you describe, um, you know, first of all, what a forum is and, and you know, where forums at work and turnaround artists is coming into play into your business and how you're trying to help build engagement within companies? Uh, so forums is, um, the YPO forum um, is a setting where six to eight, nine peers get together. They, they, they make a vow to um, keep everything they talk about confidential. They make um, a vow to not give advice, but to just share experiences. And then also uh, this notion of uh, top 5%, bottom 5%. So just to share um, what's, uh, you know, what you, the best things that are going on for you and, and, and really the, the, the worst. And when I joined YPO, look, I remember I had the, the conversation with the membership officer, um, Tyler, at the time. And he said to me, he goes, the, f- the first thing he said to me at breakfast that morning, he said, uh, YPO is all about vulnerability. And I was like, that was not what I was expecting. <laughs> I thought it was just like, I don't know, a bunch of really successful people doing really cool things and going on really cool trips and uh, kind of a social club. And he goes, so, what do you even... I, to be honest, I didn't even really know what vulnerability meant, frankly. I mean, I thought, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, so does that mean you just complain more? And, you know, I think like a lot of our peers, I'm an A type and, you know, work harder, do more and give it your all. And I don't, I didn't really understand what vulnerability meant and what that looked like. And, uh, and of course, you were the, my first forum mate, you and um, the, 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 our five other forum mates. And, and it was just such a feeling of, uh, of relief just to be able to share my challenges and the things that I was working through and to realize that, um, wow, first of all, I'm not alone. Second of all, I'm probably being a lot harder on myself than I need to be. Uh, third of all, maybe I am doing pretty well. You know, it's just it's, that, that inner critic, and believe me, I just wrote a book, so I know all about the inner critic, uh, is it, so... Um, uh, uh, pervasive and, and, and can really just quash your energy. So I just got so much out of that experience. And, um, and it was just such an energy boost. And of course, you realize everybody is going through these challenges. And um, so for me, my biggest thing was, well, how do, you, how do we share this? And how do we make this more uh, available? And I, th- I like the word you used earlier, democratize this for more people, because these are human emotions and human challenges. So uh, I, I, I've, I've adapted it. I've adapted this process in a way that, look, in our YPO forums, we talk about our personal issues, our family issues, our business issues, and we, everything's on the table. Um, it, in the working environment, you don't want to talk about the fight you had with your spouse at you know, the breakfast table or um, uh, maybe a diagnosis uh, of an illness. You, you may not want to bring those things up. But there's a lot of other things that you can really share about yourself, about who you are, about uh, what you're dealing with, especially at work, that helps others really empathize and understand that, wow, just like them, you are 
struggling in some areas and needs support. And, and an incredible thing happens when people empathize is when someone can empathize with you because they know what you're going through, all of a sudden judgment goes out the window because someone knows in their mind that, wow, I can relate. I actually feel that way right now. Or I felt that way. or uh, And obviously that feels good, but it takes away the friction and the resistance that creates conflicts and um, prevents the kind of teamwork you were just talking about, you know, at, uh, at Stone Age. And so there's this conversation about being vulnerable and open and authentic, but it's like, how do you actually do that in the workplace? You know, there's, where, where there's this precedent of being professional and stoic and all these things. And, and so that's really what my book was about. It was really, uh, I, told, I tell a story about bringing this level of authenticity uh, vulnerability and the process to create this as a sort of scalable culture in um, in a family restaurant business, which actually it actually happens to be a true story uh, about when I had to uh, reluctantly take over my family's business when my father had um, you know a pretty bad accident and uh, had to sort of work through um, the the culture that he had created. He created a very successful company, but it centered on him and the moment he had an accident and he was out, the place was in chaos. And I want to create an ownership culture, a culture of empathy and connection. And, uh, and so again, you hear about this a lot, but how do you actually do that? And so my goal with my book was to give people, was to give, make the reader kind of like a, a fly on the wall where you can watch a team go through this, complete with the challenges and the friction that comes up with it. But given you go through this process, what you can expect on the, um, uh, 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 at the end of it. It's great. It's, it's, it's so real. Um, and, and such a great model for how to do forums at work, but it's interesting in your book and, and what I experience at Stone Age and, and, and other groups I'm part of is that, you know, you can't leave the personal stuff at home and the personal stuff does come out. And so, you know, I think it's really important to understand that while, you know, you need to have like your work self and your, you know, and your, and your personal life self, they are intertwined and you've got to be able to communicate about what's going on so that you can create this empathy um, for not just what's happening at work, but you know, there's stuff outside of work that's happening that I can't help but bring in, even if I don't talk about it, it still is affecting me. So, you know, how do you suggest that people, you know, get that kind of vulnerability on the table, especially when you're not a, a really open person and comfortable with sharing? Um, so you're spot on. I mean, you, you're, you're, there's not like a, a professional side of you and a business, a, a personal side of you. I mean, you're, you're a person and um, there you are. You When you show up, you bring everything with you. And so your, your question is, how do you straddle that and how you bring that look the the i just did a gcc with 300 ypr's on this topic and that was the number one question that just came up and look i think the 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 simple or the the short answer is um step by step you're not going to you've got your culture where it's at today in terms of how open or not open people are um and you want to move the needle and you want to do it in a way that um is comfortable. It's not too much. It doesn't you don't want to share so much? It doesn't too much information where you can't look at the person in the eye the next day. That's a real thing, right? And 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 I think I I've 
connected with leaders who who've had this desire to create an authentic uh, culture and have gone too far actually and they're like we have to let the person go and um and it was really awkward and we're worried about repercussions because maybe they think it's because of what they told us so the answer is a step-by-step and i think going taking little steps of opening up and kind of curating the this process you know what we've done is uh you know my process we just start off with a conversation of what kind of culture do we want here people share about you know what they what's valuable one of you had a great culture and they share about so they're trying to share experiences about things that are meaningful to them and having these prompts and these uh these type of questions with uh, a certain parameter uh, like what kind of culture do you want what are you grateful for in your life what does leadership mean to you it allows people to share it gives them a parameter to share within and then people can choose how much they want to share and how much they don't want to share. And when you do this in small groups, like a forum group within a company of people with a similar rank, uh, six, seven people, and um, and you start off the meeting by saying, look, we're going to commit to keeping everything we talk about here between us. That's how we're going to really be open up. And you start with what I call softballs, you know, easy topics like what are you grateful for? People can gauge how comfortable they are to open up and and, and share. And uh, in, in my experience, it's a st- people go step by step, and they all, they open up a little bit, and they um, and then they see what happens. And people kind of kept it within them, and people listened, and they they connected. You, you could feel these things. Next time, they're going to share a little more. Mm-hmm. So you know, the three things I would say is one. The groups you put together, it, it's so important for them to be of a similar, um, especially to start the similar uh, rank and seniority and role. Um, that just helps people respect each other and relate. That's one. Two, establishing like protocols, like we do in our YPO forums. Everything's confidential. Uh, let's just be authentic. And nobody wants advice, you know, unless they ask for it. Share your experience. And when you, someone shares their experience, you can relate. You can say, wow. I'm not the only one going through this challenge. You've gone through it too. I'm not alone. That's what goes on in someone's mind. Um, and then the, the next thing is, is is cadence. If you have one conversation once and never have another one again, okay, you have a little blip. People open up a little bit. That'll be the end of it. Kind of like what happens on like full day retreats. You know, there's kind of a high by the end of the day, but you do it once a year and that's it. And so what I've done is I do them at a regular interval, one even once a week for 30 minutes but it helps sort of work that muscle and gets people uh, increasingly comfortable and, you know, trust is built over time. So that's what I would uh, suggest and don't force it. You know, when people feel comfortable, they'll open up, but think about, you know, what I've just described is essentially creating the conditions where someone can open up, you know, at their own time. Yeah. I think that's great. Uh, I love the farm experience. I love, uh, you know, it, making deep connections is something that's so important to me. And I've definitely gone, uh, like you, like your example, maybe too far where all of a sudden I know things that I don't want to know about my employees and like, Oh God, what am I going to do here? And so finding that balance is really important, but being able to connect with your peers and with leadership is so 
uh, incredibly engaging and rewarding uh, if done right. So I really applaud what you're what you're doing with Forms at Work and and your book, The Turnaround Artist, so that it can help people figure out how to be able to talk about these things that matter at work, where most people just are not that good at it. And you just said the key word there is figure it out. I mean, where have we where have we learned this? You know, it wasn't in it wasn't in business school, it wasn't in finance class, it wasn't in high school. At, at no point have we been given any direction or guidance, or maybe you got lucky enough to have a mentor. I was actually uh, a Dan and I had a, a mentor named Thierry Bonetto who who helped me understand what that balance is, but that's kind of like winning the lottery. It, it only happens for some people. So um, I think it's normal not to understand. And I think it's it's actually really humbling, Carrie. I'll tell you, right before this um, this YPO event, all the various questions I got and, and hearing them made me realize, wow, like even incredibly successful leaders um, really grapple with like very practically how do you apply this and how do you find that balance? And so it is a practice. And to your point, um, sometimes it goes a little too much, but that's okay. We're, we're kind of learning this together, but it's being on that right trajectory and making this an important uh, value is I think what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. All right, well, I have two qu more questions that I want to ask you about, uh, as we wrap things up. So uh, it's gonna change directions a little bit. So the name of my podcast is Reflect Forward, which has a lot of meanings to me. Uh, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? It's funny. I thought about this actually before uh, the, uh, the, the the meeting, particularly because it's a bit of a juxtaposition because you reflect and you look backwards, but then what are you going to do forward? And uh, and this, this I think what's great about this interview and this conversation is that it actually makes me think about the things that I've done and then how I want to leverage it moving forward. And that, that's what it means for me. And uh, what it uh, reflect forward means to me is, look, 10 years ago, I had this idea, this, this, this concept that by creating a uh, culture of employee ownership and incentivizing people, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be super successful, faster than we even realize it. And... Um, and you know when I'm on when I'm on my rocking chair when I'm 90 years old I'm gonna look back I'm just gonna feel really great in my heart I'm gonna feel like I really made uh, an impact on a lot of people's lives and so uh, 10 years later I just know these things are real these things work these things have are more successful than I realize and so my, my forward part is how do I just reach the maximum number of people with this and help the, the maximum number of people with uh, some of the topics we talked about, you know, before I get to that rocking chair in uh, when I'm 90. Yeah, uh, that's beautiful, Hod. Beautiful. All right. And Reflect Forward is all about uh, helping leaders get to the very top of their game. So if you had one piece of advice on what leaders should do to be at the top of their game, what is your, uh, what is that negative wisdom for us? You know, I think it's defining what top of your game means, and uh, and I think often that's like a. I think often it's like an intellectual exercise, so it might be a, a digit, you know, a number, an exit value, but I think as 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 you've probably seen with a lot of like peers who have big exits, and it's often not very fulfilling. So I think it's really like what's what makes you feel really great. That's actually a very simple exercise everybody can look at. 
what are the things that make you feel feel really great? What are the things that um, give you that really that that sense of uh, that's that's where top of your game means for me is that that makes you feel awesome. That makes you feel um, proud and fulfilled. And and how do you do more of that before you get to your rocking chair? So you have nothing to regret and you have a lot of uh, positive things to reflect on. I think I'll, I'll leave you with one thing. I am. Um, I met a very inspiring business uh, owner um, recently. His name is Larry Kendall. He created the group in Fort Collins, uh, a real estate agency. It's 50 years old or something. And uh, before even ESOPs existed, and uh, he, uh, he made it employee-owned. And there's one thing he said that just really stuck with me. And it was the way he said it. He said, I'm really satisfied with my career. He sold this company to his employees. He changed so many people's lives create a lot of wealth for himself and other people. And he was just so at peace and happy. And, um, and that's what uh, I strive towards and I hope for um, uh, everyone, including everyone listening to this podcast. That's awesome. So good. So good. All right. So how can people find you, uh, including the turnaround artists? And if they want to sign up for your course or uh, hire even your team to come in and help them with forms of work? There's various different ways you can you can buy my book um, on on Amazon. Um, you can sign up for the course, um, which you can find at uh, forumsatwork.com, uh, um, and to run it yourself. Uh, if you need more help, you know our, our team can help you guide you through it. Um, so I think those are three really great ways, kind of depending where you're at in your journey. Um, to to apply and implement this and I actually realize that uh, creating a, uh, a really fulfilling uh, and successful workplace is actually a lot more accessible than a lot of people realize. All right. Well, Ahad, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Uh, you're such an inspiring person. And I agree with uh, with everybody who you know runs in, in or comes into contact with you is that you just have this really calming effects you're such have such a chill vibe and it's so refreshing especially to like people like me that i'm like ah! you know constantly intense and i appreciate you so much so thank you for coming on the show today uh, the, the feeling is mutual um i've uh, this has been something i've been looking forward to just spending time with you i always look forward to so uh and i really appreciate you you saying that so um uh, I, I'm glad to be uh, living my my passion and uh, and yeah, thanks for taking this yeah. time together. And it's obvious that you are living your passion. It's inspiring. So <laughs> more of us need to uh, aspire to be like you. All right, thanks, yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody, hang tight, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Ahad is such a fun person, and I had a blast chatting with him, especially about things that are so near and dear to my heart, like creating a great culture and employee ownership. Okay, so my question today isn't really a question. It's more of a reflection on a conversation I had with my son recently. I have an eight-year-old son named Jack, and he is on the ski freestyle ski team. Freestyle is where you do the bumps and the jump. And I was taking to him uh, to practice. And he says to me, mom, I don't really want to go. 
to ski team today. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because I, I'm not perfect. I don't do my jumps perfect. And it makes me not want to go. I want to do them perfect. And I said, well, Jack, the, you have to practice to get perfect. And I was blown away by it. He's eight years old. You know, who is pressuring him to do things perfectly? And I started to ponder, you know, where does this pursuit of perfection come from? And why do we feel it at the age of eight and carry it into adulthood? So Jack and I had a conversation about practice, the value of practice and how when you practice things that you're not good at, you become good at them. But there's always something harder to do. So you have to love to practice and push yourself and try hard things and never pursue perfection because there is no such thing because there will be always something that you can do better. So take skiing, for example. When you start to learn how to ski, you fall a lot. It's hard. Next thing you know, you can do blue runs and then black runs. You can join the ski team. When you learn how to jump, you maybe do a spread eagle. Then maybe you do a 180 and then you practice some more. And then you do a 360 and you practice some more and you do a 540. And all of those, um, all of those practices build upon each other to make you really great at something, but there's always something additional to pursue. So rather than pursuing perfection, pursue practice. Practice, practice, practice. That is what makes us better at things. If you pursue perfection, you might not show your imperfect work. And people around the world will not get to see what you are made of and what you can create. If you are in the pursuit of perfection, maybe you won't, don't do hard things. Eh, if I can't do it perfectly, why would I bother? It will drive you crazy because it's so hard to achieve perfection. And whose standard um, of perfection are you trying to reach? What definition of perfect are you trying to reach? It's really a pointless and maybe even, I don't know, a fantasy <laughs> to say that we can do something perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't try hard. It doesn't mean that you don't pursue quality and put in the work effort to do things really well, but do it with the practice and love the practice and, and make the practice the journey, not the end game. It will make your life so much better and it will open the door to so many different opportunities because you won't be afraid to try hard things you'll be more willing to push outside your comfort zone and when you're outside your comfort zone that's where the good stuff happens that's when you realize that you can do more than you're capable of ever doing so pursue the practice not the perfection i hope that helps is inspiring today i'm certainly going to be working with my son on it and uh, and looking at myself and understanding when am I trying to pursue perfection rather than appreciating the practice? Take care. Look forward to hosting you again on the next episode of Reflect Forward.